Hi, my name is Aisha Zengin, and welcome back to another episode of Bone Group Banter. We're here to discuss, debate, and share all things musculoskeletal. But first to the news. Let's see what's making research news this week. Okay, so our first headline is Diet Drugs Suppress Mosquitoes, Thirst for Blood. And this headline comes to us from Nature. A hungry mosquito is at best a nuisance. At worst, it is a transmitter of deadly diseases. Now, researchers have discovered a way to stop mosquitoes biting by using human diet drugs to trick them into feeling full. The scientists suggest that the drugs could one day be used to control the spread of diseases. Female Aedes aegypti, like other mosquito species, feed on blood to get the protein they need to produce their eggs and spread diseases such as dengue fever in the process. But once the mosquitoes have had their blood fix, they stop biting until they've laid their eggs several days later. A neurobiologist at the Rockefeller University in New York City wondered whether she could hijack this biological process to switch off a mosquito's appetite. Previous research had suggested that a mosquito's desire to feed is controlled by neuropeptides, molecules used by the nervous system to communicate. So this group of researchers suspected that neuropeptide Y or NPY receptors might be particularly important because they form part of the molecular pathway involved in food-seeking behaviour for many animals, including humans. Some human appetite suppressant drugs already target the NPY receptors, so these researchers decided to feed these drugs to mosquitoes and see what happens. The method actually worked. Mosquitoes that fed on a solution containing MPY-activating drugs were much less likely to approach a human-centered lure than were the control group, and their appetites remained suppressed for two days. This is actually quite interesting for me in particular because I did my PhD on neuropeptide Y. So let's see what happens in that research space. Our next headline is called... Pills armed with tiny needles could inject insulin, other important meds, directly into the stomach. And this comes to us from Science Magazine. In 1922, a 14-year-old boy in Toronto, Canada, received the first injection of insulin to treat life-threatening diabetes. The same year, researchers began to test oral insulin formulations, hoping to relieve people with diabetes of daily shots. That effort failed, as have dozens of similar attempts. But realistic hope for oral insulin may finally be here. Researchers recently reported that they've engineered a capsule that once ingested, pokes a tiny hole in the lining of the stomach to deliver insulin or other so-called biologic medicines that can't be taken by mouth. Unlike traditional pharmaceuticals, which are small molecules that the, digest- that the digestive tract easily absorbs, biologics are typically proteins that are large, unwieldy molecules produced by microbes or other living cells. Biologics, which includes seven of the top ten selling drugs by sales in the United States, are more likely to hit a target molecule in the body without side effects because of their large size. But they're also more liable to degrade in the stomach 
will be blocked from entering the bloodstream by thick layers of mucus and tightly packed epithelial cells that line the stomach and gut. In recent years, pharmaceutical companies have encapsulated several small proteins called peptides in chemicals called permeation enhancers that promote absorption by the small intestine. But most permeation enhancers allow less than 1% of peptides to cross into the bloodstream. Researchers at Harvard are trying to improve this approach. They encapsulated insulin in a liquid that has the same consistency of honey. When the capsule dissolves in the small intestine, the viscous liquid gloms onto the lining and briefly disrupts the lipid membrane of the cells on the surface, allowing the insulin or other drugs to be absorbed. This is really exciting in the type 1 diabetes space, and um, I'm sure we'll hear more about it when more research has been performed. But turning to today's episode, we'll be talking about how physical activity when you're younger may be beneficial for your bones. Studies in children and younger adults suggest that doing regular physical activity in early life may be beneficial for bone structure and strength when you're older. However, most studies examining whether the effects of regular physical activity on bone extend into older age are not long-term studies, but rather cross-sectional, meaning that data is only collected at one time point. And so you can't really tell if physical activity when you're younger is going to be beneficial when you're older, if the data is only collected at one time point. You'll need several time points throughout your lifetime to be able to provide evidence for this. So why do we want to know whether or not physical activity that's done as an adult would have an effect on your bones when you're older in the first place? Well, if you've listened to all the podcast episodes, you'll remember that we spoke about the beneficial effects of load-bearing exercises on bone. But just to refresh your memory, when you perform load-bearing exercises, um, and these include things like doing weights or star jumps or running, you're applying force onto the skeleton which in turn sends a message to the bone cells to make bone. So if you think about it, the more load-bearing exercises you do, the stronger bones you will have. So this is the idea, but there isn't much evidence to support what we think actually happens. So a recently published study in the Journal of Bone and Mineral Research used data from a very large British longitudinal study called the National Survey of Health and Development or let's just call it NSHD for short, to look at whether physical activity across adulthood resulted in beneficial effects on bone and to see if these were driven by body composition, things like muscle mass. So this study is actually quite impressive, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about it before we go into what the researchers actually found. So the people in this study were all born in one week in March in 1946 and were from England, Scotland and Wales. So initially there were over 2,000 people in this study in which 1,685 people had bone density scans. So that's pretty impressive, you know, following these people up all across those years. Um, They determined physical activity by nurse interviews when the people were aged um, 36, 43, 53, and 60 to 64. So, what did they find? 
So this study showed that greater participation in physical activity over 28 years was positively associated with bone density at all sites in men and with radius, so in the arm, and hip bone density in heavier women in early old age. Men who were active at both ages, so at ages 36 and 60 to 64, had the highest levels of radius trabecular bone density. So if you remember, the trabecular bone is the spongy bone. So let's just go through that again. They had the highest levels of radius trabecular bone density, hip bone density, and lumbar spine bone density, so the lower spine, even accounting for possible factors that may have affected these associations. So the men who were active at age 36, but inactive at ages 60 to 64, also had higher levels of hip bone density than those who were inactive at both ages. In women, the associations were stronger for those who were heavier and participated in physical activity at ages 36 and 60 to 64, compared to those who are inactive at both ages. And when accounting for possible factors that may have affected these associations, um, this diminished the positive effects at all the bone sites, except for at um, the, the radius, so the trabecular bone in the radius, and hip bone density, where, where the positive associations were even more pronounced among heavier women in the group who are active um, at both ages. So these findings are in line with another, another study from Norway that showed that physical activity over a 22-year follow-up period was associated with higher bone mineral density. Interestingly, this Norwegian study also showed that those who are moderately active or active at both the two time points, so at baseline, the first time point and the follow-up time points, had higher bone density than those who were the least active at both assessments. So the British researchers also reported differences between men and women in their findings. So the accumulation of physical activity, so if you were to add all the physical activity up over the study period of 28 years, had greater beneficial effects in men in bone density sites at risk of osteoporotic fracture. For instance, the hip, the lower spine and the radius. However, when they accounted for differences in body composition, these differences were no longer there and that these were mainly driven by differences in muscle mass, especially at the weight-bearing areas. So for instance, the hip. Another possible explanation for finding stronger associations in men than women is that the characteristics of physical activity i.e. the type, the intensity, the, fre the frequency, the duration and the mode that women typically engage in across the life course may be less optimal for bone and muscle health in later life than those men engage in. So previous findings from this large British study, the NSHD, showed that men were more likely to participate in higher impact activities such as football and racket sports like tennis or something in earlier adulthood before switching to engagement in activities of lower impact in old age. Whereas women 
we're more likely to engage in lower impact activities. For instance, things like swimming, yoga, Pilates, across adulthood. So that's that's all we have time for today. I just thought I'd give you a little um, little bit of information um, about doing about the benefits of doing um, physical activity when you're a young adult. And clearly, there's um, beneficial effects when you're older. So basically, just to wrap it up, the take-home message is, if you want to have stronger bones for when you're old, be sure to participate in physical activity. It's not too late, as the people in this study that had their physical physical activity compared when they were 36 years old still had beneficial effects on their bones when they were 60. So it's definitely not too late. Um, Be sure to exercise to have healthy bones when you're older. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and get in touch via Twitter or email if you have any questions. Thanks for your time and see you next week.